0: Welcome to The Film That Blew My Mind, our weekly podcast all about the heart and soul of cinema. I'm John Cooper.
1: And I'm Tabitha Jackson.
0: Today we are talking with Jinx Monsoon. As our first drag queen on the show, she brings something fabulous to the conversation.
1: And such an amazing energy. So without further ado, let's get to work. So welcome,
0: Jinx Monsoon. Welcome to our show, The Film That Blew My Mind. We're very excited to have you here
1: today. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you for being had.
0: (laughs) Okay, record-breaking winner of RuPaul's Drag Race and Drag Race All-Stars, which won her the title of Queen of Queens,
1: not to mention a Broadway breakout star. Award-winning stage actress, acclaimed vocalist and stand-up comic. Earlier this year, she made her Broadway debut as matron Mama Morton, in Chicago, with a 10-week run that broke box office records.
0: This summer, she embarked on her biggest concert tour, and next up, she hits the road with Ben de la Creme for the fifth holiday tour, hitting venues across the US, UK, and Canada.
1: Today's guest is the brilliant, inspired, and internationally tolerated drag icon, Jinx monsoon. Yay.
2: <laughs> that was I. Cu- I couldn't even look at the um, computer screen during that um, introduction because it was too much flattery, honestly. Oh, no. But it was all he, true.
0: We leave- you- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we leave anything out? You- do we get anything wrong?
2: No, no, no. Those are those are the big, are the big things. things. Yeah. I, t- I, t-
1: I tell you one thing: we did leave out was which is the best name of a tour ever.
2: All I want for Christmas is attention. Attention. <laughs> yeah. We, we, um, the first few years we came up with a new name for the show. Now we just call it the Jinx and Dela Holiday Show because it's become such a holiday tradition and staple in our community, um, that, uh, you know, you just come to expect it every year. But the first few years we, we did, um, To Jesus, Thanks for Everything, Jinx and Dela. We did all I want for Christmas is attention. <laughs> um, and then we did the return of the Jinx and Dela holiday show after the pandemic. And it was kind of like a, you know, resurrection horror theme. Right, right. <laughs> Bringing it back.
0: Um, and of course I know you from our World of Wonder friends, which I've worked with many times, many years. and I think. Oh. And I thank them for introducing <laughs> me to you. Officially, so this has been
2: great. They've introduced me to so many wonderful people. Well, they're, honestly, they're so sweet and <laughs> so good, and everybody good loves them. To have. Yeah,
0: they are good friends to have. Yeah. Um,
1: so they've introduced you to many wonderful people, Cooper.
0: and Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we, let's um, let's get on with it, right, Tabitha? Because yeah, I think because it's should. time to formally tell everyone what is.
2: The film that blew your mind, *Jinx Monsoon*. Um, we're going to be discussing all about *Eve*, um, the film that won Betty Davis her first Oscar. No, her second Oscar. I, I forget. I don't. I don't <laughs> think she won. No. She had two. She was nominated, she really but she didn't lost. win for this. She lost. She was nominated. Okay. Right.
1: Both. Oh you wow. Had, it?
2: What did she win her Oscars for then? If it wasn't this. <laughs>
1: Jessica came back to us. So she won her gongs for Dangerous in 1935, her Oscars, and Jezebel in I guess 30 38. But let me just do a quick um, a quick for anyone who doesn't know this film. Listen to this podcast. Ooh, should you listen to the podcast and then go and watch it or go and watch it and then catch up with the podcast? Cuz there'll be spoilers.
2: There'll be spoilers. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not holding anything back in this conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: um so all about eve 1950 it's about a seemingly timid but secretly ruthless ingenue who insinuates herself into the lives of an aging broadway star and her circle of theater friends by the way aging star is bloody 40 and i'm 52 (laughs) so i'm not loving that that was back in the days um it was back in the day <laughs> when people died at 45. Yeah. Um, th- directed by uh, Joseph Mankiewicz, written by Joseph Mankiewicz, and based on a novel by Mary Orr called The Wisdom of Eve. And as you've just heard, it stars Betty Davis as Margot Channing, a fantastic part, and Baxter as Eve, George Sanders as Addison DeWitt. Celeste Holm as Karen, Thelma Ritter, who I love in this, as Birdie, and Gary Merrill as Bill Sampson. So, all about Eve. Tell us. Why, why, why,
2: Jinx? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know what I love about this film is that it's a film about theatre. And it was at the time when, you know, like everything was shifting to film. And... they could have easily, you know, I I know it's based on a novel, but they could have easily adapted it. They could have easily made it about um, films. You know, it could have been uh, more akin to Sunset Boulevard in that regard, you know, Um, but they, they kept, it's about theater. And it so encapsulates just everything about being a feminine person in the entertainment industry and it captured it in 1950 and um even though betty davis didn't win the oscar sorry for my misfact but um uh, the fact that she was nominated the fact that she was even cast in the role the fact that they decided to make a movie about like in the description an aging broadway star because you know um it's not a new thing that ageism exists for women in the entertainment industry. But before Meryl Streep was doing films like, um, she did that film with Alec Baldwin and it blew everyone's minds because it was like Meryl Streep in her 60s doing a rom-com, you know, because that's unheard of. And at this time, it was unheard of for a woman like over 29 to be in a leading role in a film. Female roles were written to be ingenues and then if you weren't an ingenue you were a mother or a sassy (laughs) sassy sassafras talking best friend or servant or some subordinate role you know but there were not leading female roles for women who were no longer ingenues like this and the fact that this existed then and betty davis you know really just like it's. I think this is the movie that med, made Betty Davis. This and Baby Jane, they're the two that endure time because of how iconic she is in this. And she's just an incredible actor, period, you know?
1: <laughs> Jinx, where did you see it? Where did you see it for the first time?
2: Um, I was in college. Uh, I went to Cornish College of the Arts for theatre school. And um, my now music partner, Major Scales, he and I lived together, um and we rented it one night because it was brought up in one of our classes and i think we were getting extra credit by watching it and writing like a page on what we thought of the film and you know, it was like uh, it was so that we could see what like the theater life was like back then, and what like the the style of acting was like, and also to um, learn the transatlantic dialect. I think <laughs> I think we got extra points in our dialect class if we watched it. That's what it might have been. Anyway. Um, So we had to watch it over three nights because it is so word heavy and so dense, but we were loving it. And we only had like an hour a night, you know, in college we were, you know, we didn't get home till like 10 most nights after rehearsal. So we only had like an hour of TV time a night. So we had to cut up watching all about Eve. So it felt like watching a mini series over three days (laughs) and- that was not a bad way to watch it, I got to say. <laughs> you know? It's
0: true because well, cause you have to process. They have so many monologues that are so heavy and so big <laughs> yeah. and deep with these characters that you, you have to absorb them. I mean, that's what I, I thought the writing in this mm-hmm. film is incredible. I think a lot of people now overlook it for it's kind of campy whatever, but it's actually the writing is really deep and, and thorough and all the characters are so vividly portrayed in their different characters you know
2: they're also nuanced and the you know like everybody makes mistakes in this film like all the characters change you know like all the characters go on an arc and every character has like a narrator moment yeah Which like almost every character has a narrator moment, which I find hilarious that they're just trading off who's narrating this. But I guess it's kind of all of them recounting, you know, this story about this woman in their life, Eve Harrington. So it's it's justified in the way the film is structured. But I don't remember any other film where it's just like every other scene a different (laughs) person's narrating what's happening. It's
1: wonderful because it feels like this interior monologue and because the characters are so well written and crafted and and delivered by this great cast the narration isn't what you often get which is just kind of information or a tone but it's this really sassy acidic um yeah. it just brings a whole other dimension to the film and it starts off with george sanders as as the vicious critic um, Addison, what's his name? Addison, Addison DeWitt. DeWitt.
2: To those of you who do not read, attend the theatre, listen to unsponsored radio programmes, or know anything of the world in which you live, it is perhaps necessary to introduce myself. My name is Addison DeWitt. My native habitat is the theatre.
1: He brings in, we're, we're at a, at a. this is the opening scene, and, and they're at a, an awards ceremony. Um, the Sarah Siddons Award. Eve. The Sarah Siddons Award, <laughs> yeah. and Eve Harrington is 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 going to get it, and it's a wonderful bookend. Uh, they the bookend the movie. We start with the award ceremony. We end on the award ceremony, pretty much. And it's just so it's so clever. I loved it from the first second. His voice yeah. comes in. It's like, ooh.
2: however, it is important that you know where you are and why you are here. This is the dining hall of the Sarah Siddons Society
1: occasion is its annual banquet and presentation of the highest honor our theater knows
0: because he's the first narrator and then it switches to karen telling the karen story which is yeah i know it's so bizarre it's like okay and now now we're going with her okay we're gonna go down that path yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's um i i mean like first of all i feel like this is like i said This film and whatever happened to Baby Jane, it's like when you say Betty Davis, typically you get one of those two images in your mind. And Margot Channing is just like, I mean, she's what every drag queen wants to be. You know, she's like, because she is so respected. She's clearly talented. She's clearly like. You know, she's uh, an artist who is in her prime. You know, she might be on the decline, as we learn throughout the film, but, like, that is also exacerbated by Eve's efforts. But, um, you know, it's just, like, the the way that she is all of those things, and then she's also a fucking bitch. (laughs) You know, she's also a narcissist, and she's also haughty, and... Lustful and jealous, and uh, you know she she displays all of these different character traits. But she's the only character I care about. Yes. You know, yeah. like she I'm- she runs the gamut. You know, she's vulnerable. She's a she's pissy. <laughs> sometimes she's the bitch. Sometimes she's the victim. And she's just so fantastic. She- and she wears. Non-stop, amazing. Right, oh, right. So the, the Edith
1: Head, I'm sure, must have been the designer. It of this. was. It was. It was, uh, it was yeah. only. I think
0: it's it's credited as Edith Head did her, but I don't think she did the whole movie. She just did Betty Davis, I think.
1: Wow. Yeah, wow. Edith Head, she does look, look spectacular. Yeah. And what you were just saying, Jinx, about all the things that Margot Channing is. I mean, I love your your reference to to drag artists as well, because there's something about she is a fully complex person. She's also kind of operatic. So everything she does is at a heightened level. When she's vulnerable, she's really vulnerable. When she's mad, she's really mad. But you get this sense that she's, um, she's had to fight for what she got to get her place there. And as we see from the film, it's hard to what you have to fight your way to get there and then you have to fight your way to stay there um and i she just the thing i love about this film is how complex the female characters are in it um but oh my god yeah she's i know that the men are
0: almost almost except for addison dewitt it's just really creepy um yeah (laughs) <laughs> they're 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 all kind of like a stand one stand
2: up guy yeah. Bill's no stand up right guy, guy. But,
0: but they're but they're <laughs> they're right on the surface. he is that the the playwright is that yeah, but the women are so much more complicated. they go you know back and forth from yeah. from not from understanding what's going on and then not understanding
1: it's um it's uh I watched the trailer and the log line at the end of the trailer is all about Eve. Is all about women and their men, which is, which is, to, which is wonderful. Foregrounding the women, but the men are the men are in there. So as you were saying, Jinx, how these different relational dy- dynamics and the and the archetypes of the of the female are being played out in this movie is so cool.
2: My guess is that it's because the novel was written by I one. was going to say <laughs> right <laughs> right. Yeah, hmm. the the original source material because yeah, it was, you know, and again why I why I love this film is not only for all the things that it is but for the time that it took place. You know, 1950. Like the 50s were the age of you know, we are still living in a fifties impacted world. You know, the fifties were a concerted, like direct and calculated effort to shape the way America was gonna go after the two world wars. You know, uh, the two world wars threw us into chaos and then an attempt to comfort the Americans after the chaos, but also to go, and now is our time to get back to what we think America should be about because we had the swing in twenties, you know, the forties, like these atrocities. And it was the fifties where they built the idea of the nuclear family and started imposing a lot of the gender norms that we now think have always been in existence. You know, we think these gender norms have always been normal, but the fifties was when like the American government, I think the campaign was called a return to normalcy or a return to normality or something. But it wasn't a return to anything because they created something new and dressed it up like let's return to the picket fence and the the 2.5 children, you know, this new construct they made. Because they were scared of the power women were getting in the 40s when all the women started working while That's the men were in the war.
1: Exactly. Well, the women were were kind of had more autonomy. I mean, certainly in in the U.S. and in and in parts of Europe, because they were working in the munitions factory, they were earning their own wages. They had.
2: Their they own were time. also taking over entertainment. Right. They were taking, you know, like they like they were doing all of the jobs, you know, because a lot of the men were gone, and when the men came back this idea of return to normalcy, this idea of the perfect housewife was imposed to cut off that momentum that women were gaining. And then to see a film in 1950 about strong-willed, powerful women is really cool.
1: <laughs> well, it is, Jinx, <laughs> It It definitely is and the complexity of women is still something that's often lacking in the cinema we see today. But I was also thinking about this film, you know, Margot Channing, when she's vulnerable, she's she's vulnerable about being this this legendary uh, actress, actor, who is now being um, undervalued, devalued because she's getting older in the theater. And at one point, she says something like, "I can't. Cooper will know this off by heart, but um, but, but she says at one point, you know, you're not a woman. You're not a woman mm-hmm. unless
2: uh, I, I can, when you, listen, can you Do it. Uh, yes, uh, the things. Funny business, of a woman's career. The things you drop on the way up the ladder so you can get there faster. You forget you'll need them when you go back to being just a woman." Off. Um, as she says, with uh, unless you can turn over, and yes, it's all about a man. Unless you can turn over and see a man in the night who who loves you and you love him, you're not a woman. You're something like a French provincial office and a book full of clippings, but you're not a woman. Slow curtain, the end. The end. Oh, right. that's that's the sound right. of applause and, for things. Uh, oh my god! But I paraphrase. But yeah, so. It is a lot of her worth is associated to a man being in her life. But, you know... And that is where
1: the film ends. Yeah. Spoiler alert.
2: (laughs) No, well... That (laughs) is... That's when they're...
1: We're happy because she got her man.
0: Well, that's how... Yeah, that's what happens.
2: I, I feel like... It's still an astute commentary on what they're dealing with at the time. Like, she basically says, to be successful in her career, she had to give up her womanhood. Yes. And then now that her career is being taken away from her, she has nothing because she gave up her womanhood for her career. And, you know, I know that, like, in the end, she's like, but I'm okay because I have my man. Yeah. Right? But she's also saying, this is what women deal with. Right. You can either... Be this or you can be this right but most women don't get both. to be both right oh Just
1: nice looking, you pulled it back because yeah. I, I was pretty like <laughs> oh man this this is like soft propaganda for putting the women back in their it offices. is you know
2: it it can be look i i like to i i, I like to see try to see things from multiple angles yes because if we look back on these things there are multiple ways to see it. And you have to remember the constraints they were dealing with at the time. Like they could only say and do so much in this film. Right. You know, it might've been that the film originally ended differently and the censor said, nope, she has to end up with Bill (laughs) at the end and she has to be happy. You know, we, but I do think if we look at it with the right lens and if we remember that the novel was written by a woman, there's a lot of empowerment to take from the film as well. Or at least a lot of common. Yeah, it was it was yes. at a time
0: because even the <laughs> remember the bedroom scene with what's what's the playwright's name? I can't remember name. Not Bill. Bill is the the director.
1: Oh yeah, the director. other one is yeah. cool. Called... The other one.
0: <clears throat> but oh, but the when they're one. but when they're having a scene in their bedroom, they're in separate beds. And and, yes. and I watched it with my partner. He goes, Why is she in a different bed? He was like, he couldn't. that's what they used to have to do back in the day to do that's why margo never had a bedroom scene with bill they had the scene on the Mm -hmm.
2: because they weren't married they had the scene on the fake (laughs) stage
0: bed but uh, that that was probably a very clever way of at least getting them sort of in in close contact with each other on a bed I feel like we yes. should show... Should we jump to a clip? I mean, just because... Yeah, we should. Are- and
1: also, we should just... Jessica just saved us again. And uh, Lloyd, the playwright. Lloyd,
0: right. <laughs> Lloyd and Karen. Is
1: Lloyd, the best friend. Lloyd and Karen. <laughs> but yeah, let's 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 watch a clip. How should we set this one up? I think it's the you-
0: party scene. It's the most famous... Her most famous line from the whole...
1: But, the, hmm. but this is where, just before this has happened, we... Um, uh, there is something that the narration does is also kind of prefigure something that's about to happen so, so the narrator, and I can't remember which character it is at that moment is talking about what a disaster this party is going to be, which immediately makes you salivate uh, and so let's hear a little <laughs> It's <the
2: amusing>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is. My was yeah. well amused, amused. Right. Uh, so let's take a listen to some of this the
3: kid, a junior that is, will be down in a minute unless you'd like to take her drink up to her.
1: I can get a fresh one. Karen, you're a Gibson girl. Thank you. The general atmosphere is very
0: Macbethish. What has or is about to happen?
3: What is he talking about? Macbeth. We know you. We've seen you like this before. Is it over or is it just beginning? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. We. Down. How are you? Mademoiselle, merci pour to you too. Uh. I distinctly remember Addison crossing you off my guest list. What are you doing here?
1: Dear Margot, you were an unforgettable Peter Pan. You must pray it again soon. Uh, you remember Miss Caswell?
3: I do not. How do you do? We've never met. Maybe that's why. Well,
1: Miss Caswell is an actress, a graduate of the Copper Cabana School of Dramatic Art. Ah, Eve.
3: Good evening, Mr. DeWitt. I had no idea you two knew each other.
1: This must be at long last our formal introduction. Until now, we've only met in passing.
2: (laughs) What I love most about Betty Davis in this film is her gesture work. You know, this dress especially, this dress that is like huge and cumbersome, but it has pockets. And she constantly is putting her hands in the pockets to maneuver this dress around the party. She is like holding court, you know. Um, she, was this before or after she had played Queen Elizabeth? Because this is either her ramping up to play Queen Elizabeth or this is her bringing yeah. Queen Elizabeth into Margot Channing. Because she pretty sure it was walks before around now. the house. Yeah, yeah. She walks around. I mean, it's her house, but she walks around like a queen. And <laughs> the part of that is not like being super regal, it's that she doesn't care how she walks around. She says, Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Why? Because she's in a bad mood, so everyone else is going to suffer. And then she starts drinking. She makes this conscious choice. She knows she's in a bad mood. I'm going to put gasoline on the fire. (laughs) And, uh, And then just like we got to Eve coming down the stairs, and it's so brilliant that Eve is wearing a dress that looks just kind of like Margo's. (laughs) So they've got kind of the same silhouette going on. It's just, everything about this is so brilliant. Any drag queen who hasn't watched, (laughs) at least this party scene, hasn't done their homework.
0: (laughs) The party scene begins with her, he's there, she hasn't seen him, but she's pissed off already because she knows this party has all been planned around her and she's been, she's already on to Eve and she's the only one in the room except for Thelma Ritter, that's not in the room, is on to Eve. And she goes around, she checks the... It's all cigarette boxes. Cigarette box, cigarette box, and then a candy dish, which is right up in the screen. <laughs> and covers it up. She doesn't take one. She goes again. She opens it. She almost puts it in her mouth, puts it down, does a whole spin of the room again, and then opens it and throws it in her mouth and does the rest of the scene, chewing on this big, really chewy piece <laughs> of... Yeah, yeah. It was a chewy piece of... It's
2: so good.
0: And she just... She just needs to put something in her mouth. It was like that. Like she didn't have a drink in her hand. So I'm going to.
2: It's because she's angry and she's looking for things to do. Right. And it's like, she's, it's such an interesting, Oh my God. It's just why I think Betty Davis is such a good actor because she's playing this character who has to feel everything big and do everything big. And she's angry, but she's trying to project an air that she doesn't care or that she's like, she's already right. So all of Bill's, you know, like... Counter arguments are falling on deaf ears. And she displays this by busying herself yeah. <laughs> with stupid little tasks that she's not even really doing. And the chocolate is my favorite thing because, yes, she comes around three times for that chocolate just because she's mad and she's trying to find something to show how unbothered she is. She can do this chocolate bit three times. <laughs>
1: And so the audience, or certainly I as an audience member, is like, oh my God, what's going to happen? But it's a really enjoyable thing. And then Addison DeWitt comes in with, as you said, Jinx, during the clip, there's Marilyn Monroe in maybe
2: one of her first screen roles. I I I think think. it might have been. I I can't remember if this is is her debut. It might have been her debut. If it's not her debut, it's like her second film. Because it's certainly before... The Marilyn Monroe character right, was developed, like hot. yeah, and she's still playing a dumb blonde. Yes, right. like you yes. know, she's but she's an articulate dumb blonde, yeah. you know. And it's the theater world, so it's not quite as you know as glitzy and glamorous as the and and vapid as the Hollywood world that we like know Marilyn Monroe as part of. And
1: but I think she's she's playing a dumb blonde. She's playing. What the men want, which is for her to be a dumb blonde, but she's not dumb. Those she's got exactly. every line is well, a singer. She There is one it
0: part up. where yeah. she even gets a little pissed off. She actually gets to get a little angry. Um
2: I'm not trying to cause uh, a fuss. I just want to drink. drink. Right. You know? Yeah, it's
0: like <laughs> it's like, leave me the fuck out of your problems. <laughs> right.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and what I love is that, you know, you kind of get the sense that like I mean, she's another I don't know. She's it, it, with we've got Margot and we've got Eve and we've got Karen and we've got Marilyn Monroe's character whose name I forget. She's it's only Caswell. got a few lines. Ch- that's right. Chaswell. It's Caswell, Caswell yes. or
0: Chaswell or something like
2: that. And so we've got all these different we've got all these different displays of Feminine archetypes and the different ways they interact with men. We've got the one who's using her sexuality. Uh, We've got Eve, who's more conniving and subtle. We've got Margot, who uses her status, you know. And then we've got Karen, who's married, so she's like a daywalker, you know. She can. And (laughs) one
0: more, and one more. She's
2: on the behind enemy lines. And one
0: more important one. We have (laughs) Thelma Ritter, who sees it all. (laughs) Before everybody else, the who who's seen it all. She
2: says it. She lays oh. it all out in yeah. her the very first scene that Eve comes it's, into, right? and Margot doesn't want to right. hear it because her narcissism is being tricked by Eve's flattery, and so I mean, like literally, she spoils the whole movie right away.
0: But we we're thinking in that scene. It's, oh, why is she such a bitch? I mean, when the first time you see it, you kind of think, why is her yeah. maid woman such a bitch? Like, why isn't she? and then you realize okay she's on to something right she sees what's Mm -hmm. happening but what's great about margo is she knows how to become vulnerable when it's time it's like she finally always gets Mm -hmm. she's tough to get there but when she does it's so beautiful like her her apology the that one scene we were talking about before was in the car where she's sort of apologizing for her behavior she knows she's a bitch Mm -hmm. and but we also have that the scene in the on the stage after the fire and music um, audition scene, which I think is kind of where you see her in a different light. And it's, that's the power of her performance, I think, is that she can, she can yeah not let her hair down. I don't know what the phrase is, but you know.
2: Well, and that's why I think it's, it's such, I mean, she's just such a good actor because, Being an actor myself, if I think about, okay, so part of why I know that monologue we were talking about is because Betty Davis had a um, a kind of baffling um, musical career. (laughs) She did? She had, it was, you know, there's not a lot of it, but she put out a couple singles, and then she did an album that included, I think, her singing one song and then a lot of dramatic monologues set to music <laughs> and one was her monologue from um all about eve set to the song from the party scene right. when she gets drunk and depressed she keeps having the pianist play Liebestram, um over and over five times and so this monologue <laughs> is set to music it exists um it's her reviving her role as Margot Channing wow. doing this monologue. Um, it's on Spotify if you want to listen to it. You, you just have to search as Margot Channing and you'll find it. <laughs> but um, so I love this monologue. I've memorized it from that recording. And she says something about Eve in this monologue where she says, and about Eve, um, I've acted pretty disgracefully towards her too. I think that's, I think this monologue that she delivers to the song is a bunch of different things she says throughout the film because I think this chunk comes from that car scene Mm -hmm. you're talking about. And she opens up and she says one of the reasons, okay, this is before she realizes Eve is coming for her, but she's starting to feel like she's been a bitch to Eve and she needs to rethink why she's doing that. And she says, um, she's so... Feminine and helpless, and so many of the things I want to be for Bill. Oh, wow. You know, and it's like it's this character saying, I know I'm a bitch. She also says, um, normally people speak about me in terms of a temperament, which includes swooping around the room in a on a broomstick, screaming at the top of my voice, infants behave the way I do. <laughs> They'd get drunk <laughs> if they knew how. You know? <laughs> um And she's saying, you know, like, I know I'm a fucking tall order. And this is why I relate to the character so much. She's saying, I know I'm a lot. I know I'm this volatile person. I know people think of me as the Wicked Witch. And maybe I hate Eve because here is this perfect example of femininity that we know men are attracted to. And I know that I'm not that because Mm -hmm. I'm... Marco Channing,
1: right, <laughs> right. Oh wow, uh, Jinx! I want to, I want to come. I want you to do a presentation on all about you <laughs> in a theater. I want to come and listen. Wait, wow. have you ever done
0: Mark? You've done a lot of imitations of people I know from Great Gardens. I've seen you know them. and I, Judy, but have you? I have you ever done her? <laughs>
2: When I do Betty Davis, it's Betty Davis. It's kind of like the every Betty Davis. It's like a monstrous <laughs> presentation of Betty Davis. But I'm I'm trying to channel my Margot Channing in that. But the thing is, is like I've spent a lot of time with this film, which is why I have a lot of thoughts on this film. But to watch any film from this era that is meant to be about the female experience you always have to remember that it's being created by men. Right. <laughs> it's being yeah. oversaw by men. And it's like women trying to tell their story, but they have to play by the rules of men. Mm. Like Hollywood was, I mean, like all the money was being made by the starlets, like all the money being generated was the starlets. You know, you went to the movies for Marilyn Monroe and Betty Davis and and the the female starlets, Unless it was a Western, I guess, you know. (laughs) Um, But it was all controlled by men. And, you know, it was a really astute thing to look at in the series um, Feud, Betty and Joan, the Ryan Murphy series, is how much of their rivalry was orchestrated by men. So when you watch Uh. films from this era, you have to look at it through this lens of, like, what was imposed, you know, like I was saying, like, maybe they told her it had to end with a happy ending between Margot and Bill. I haven't read the novel, so I don't know. But, like, so many things get imposed. I think about the film The Women, which is all about women, um, but it's all about their relationship to men. Right. And that's, like, so... You could look at it like this is sexist and anti-feminist, or you could look at it like that was literally (laughs) the constraints that women were working in. Like we want to share our story, but they won't let us if we don't make it about men, because the whole system was set up to a woman's worth comes from her attachment to a man. Right, (laughs) right,
1: right. So, so Jinx, I want to, I want to, I know we both do. We want to learn a little bit more about you and so we know you were at um at college with major scales watching this (laughs) what took you where do where were you raised what was cinema in your life wherever that was
2: I was raised in Portland Oregon and it's I always say like to be a queer person my age who grew up in a place where it was safe to come out as queer You know, I came out as a teenager. Um, I think I was, you know, fully out of the closet and living my truth as it was then um, at like 14 years old. So I got to go through my adolescence being myself, which is not like not everyone got to do that in their life. And it's a huge privilege to have gotten to do that. So, Basically, after I came out, all the cinema I wanted to watch was queer cinema and anything that was iconic to drag queens. So this started my long run of like watching, you know, really campy films, musical films, lots and lots of horror, just because I love horror. Um, But I like to watch the classics, too, because... You know, the classics are where the drag queens who inspired me as I was coming up as a drag queen, they got all their inspiration from the films of old Hollywood. Right. And right. so it's like going back to the source material. <laughs>
1: oh, that's good. That, and who were, who were some of the drag queens that who inspired you?
2: Oh, definitely um, Varla Jean Merman, um, Charles Bush. My God, Charles Bush, you know... Like there's a lot of queens that I work with a lot, and there's a lot of queens that like my chemistry is really well, uh, works well with, and Charles Bush, their drag persona, you know, nothing like my drag persona. Right. But what Charles Bush does as a drag performer, you know, writing unique stories that they then act in, I was like, oh, drag queens can do that too. We can do that too, you know? And now that's what I do in my work. I do it mostly for live entertainment. Charles did it for film, but also did it for live entertainment, which led to um, Charles's work in film. But to see drag queens that were keeping these archetypes and these characteristics alive, like I always say that drag queens are kind of like the the human books in Fahrenheit 451 <laughs> but instead of keeping books alive we keep aspects of culture alive right. you know like because of drag queens you know judy garland is still alive and well in the queer community <laughs> you know <laughs> because of drag queens you know people in their 20s still might know who betty davis is because right. we're still talking about her
1: <laughs> so did you see did you see your first Drag act on
2: screen or on stage? I, let's see. Well, I think my very first experience with drag was Rocky Horror. Right. And then... And that's a very specific kind of drag, but it lives within the drag world. But, the, you know, it was my gateway. And then I found a youth center in Portland called Smirk, the Sexual Minority Youth Resource Center, <laughs> which was an amazing thing to have as a teenager. It was just like a hangout spot for queer teens, but, you know, also... We did like classes and community events and there were open mic nights and poetry nights and all these things. And that's where a lot of like my introduction to queer cinema happened. And, you know, I was introduced to Hedwig and the Angry Inch at that point in my life. And pretty much, you know, I pulled the the cork and everything just came spilling out (laughs) of me. I was born to be a drag queen. My aunt predicted it when I was like nine months old. Seriously, because... (laughs) Portland has a big drag tradition and there is a there's um a title called Rosebud of Portland. It's an underage drag pageant that ha- has existed for like over 40 years. Wow. My aunt said when I was like 9 months old I was going to win that pageant someday and then I did at the age of 16 <laughs> or 15 I think. <laughs> Um so I was just born to be this person, you know? Well, we're glad you didn't that's stop incredible. right
0: there. You could have stopped right there and go, I've done it. I've fulfilled my <laughs> yeah. lifetime mission.
1: Yeah. And it's such a, that's so wonderful to hear that experience and it's talking to people on this show just how places form, how places the place mm-hmm. where we are raised has some effect on who we become and in this And in this instance, it feels like a very positive, liberating, expressive Mm -hmm. um, impact it had. So that's pretty good. Go
2: Portland. There is a through. Yeah. No, Portland's amazing. And... The only thing I'll say is when you grow up in a bubble, though, it is a big culture shock when you leave that bubble and you realize, oh, I've heard of people behaving this way and thinking this way, but you have to go to Florida and see it in action to really (laughs) be like, oh, yeah, we're from different parts of the country.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so I have a big question for you.
2: Did you ever have an
0: Eve Harrington in your life?
2: Ooh. Oh, oh <laughs> no! But this is very—I did not, luckily. Um, but I have been <laughs> I <didn't either>. suspected <laughs> to be an Eve many times, really, because I've always been very ambitious. Uh. I wouldn't say many times. I've always been very ambitious. I've always known exactly what I wanted to do in life. I've always wanted to be an actor. I've always wanted to work in drag. I've always known who I was as a human being. So I, Like in theater, I started auditioning for female roles right out of college. Like my first um, roles out of college, I played two of the three female roles in Henry V. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of women were pissed off about that. But then when I met Ben de la Creme, we instantly saw this kinship. And we talk about it all the time today, you know, like, our friendship has endured like over 14 years in spite of the fact that our culture, when there are two people, especially two feminine people who like the same things and do the same things, um, our culture pits them against each other. So right at the beginning of our friendship, one of Ben's good friends said, I'd watch out for Jinx. I think she's going to all about Eve you. (laughs) And DeLa said, And Dala has been very honest with me. Dayla said, at that moment, I thought, this person could either be my biggest enemy or one of my best friends. I'm going to start trying to work with her so that she does not become my rival. And she started casting me in her plays that she wrote in Seattle. And that began our friendship. And, you know, I have not eaved her yet. <laughs> In fact, our partnership and our friendship has made us, you know, like helped us realize our full potential. And I think that's what we're starting to see as a counter to that feminine rivalry is feminine friendship being celebrated in our culture. If you just think of Cardi B and Megan The Stallion, (laughs) if you think of abby um jacobson and alana glazer you know like we are starting to celebrate female friendship instead of female rivalry and i think that's why our audiences love our holiday show <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: oh <laughs> mic drop and t- uh, yeah. that was awesome at jinxandayla.com yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is good
1: uh So, um, we, I think we should, I think we should hear another clip because it's too good. Yeah. To the other
0: side of Margot. Right. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. What should we, which one do you fancy? The one
0: in, after the, in the theater after. Oh, in the theater.
1: Okay. Do you want to, yeah, set this up for us, She's,
0: she's, um. Got to the I love she got to the um audition, she's supposed to go to like two and a half hours late and was pissed off that they did it without her, which is typical and kind of funny. But also, how all the men were so enthralled with not, not the poor um, um Marilyn Monroe character who was auditioning, but the understudy filled in and knew, nobody knew it was the understudy, and that was Eve. Eve had set <laughs> that up, and of course. Performed beautifully and with great, you know, um, with great um, fire and music, actually, as they say. Um, mm-hmm. And that's so now Margo's and stepping Margo into this, this pit of, <laughs> of craziness. And she knows she's got to do something. And she's at her wits end a little bit.
3: I'm nothing but a, a body with a voice, no mind.
2: What a body. What a voice.
3: That ex-ship news reporter. No body, no voice, all mind.
1: The gong rang. The fight's over. Calm down.
3: I will not calm down.
1: Don't calm down.
3: You're being terribly tolerant, aren't you?
1: I'm trying terribly hard.
3: Well, you needn't be. I will not be tolerated and I will not be plotted against.
1: Here we go.
3: Such nonsense. What do you all take me for? Little Nell from the country? Be in my understudy for over a week without my knowing it. Carefully hidden, no doubt.
1: Now, don't get carried away.
3: Arrives here for an audition when everyone knows I will be here. And gives a performance. Out of nowhere, gives a performance.
0: You've been all through that with Lloyd.
3: The playwright doesn't make the performance, and it doesn't just happen, and this one didn't. Full of fire and music and whatnot. Carefully rehearsed, I have no doubt. Full of those Bill Sampson touches.
1: I am sick and tired of these paranoiac outbursts.
3: Paranoid!
1: I didn't know Eve Harrington was your understudy until half past two this afternoon.
3: Tell that to Dr. Freud, along with the rest
1: of it. No, I'll tell it to you. For the last time, I'll tell it to you. Because you've got to
2: stop hurting yourself and me and the two of us by these paranoiac tantrums.
3: Oh, that word again. I don't even know what it means. Well,
2: it's about time you found out. I love you. I love you.
1: Ha! You're a beautiful and an intelligent woman. A body with a voice. A beautiful and an intelligent woman and a
2: great actress. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Oh. So And then they break it's up. It's
2: this complicated right. thing. <laughs> it's this complicated thing of the time of this like romanticized idea of a man man handling a, right. a woman like yes. this. You know, where it's like it's this thing it was in music. It was in movies where you know, like the song "He Hit Me" and it felt like a kiss. Yes, and then in movies where you see the buildup, where it's like, you know, it's all there to put it in your mind that this woman is acting hysterical, and the thing she needed most in that moment was to be okay. shaken, okay. you know, to like yeah. calm her down or something. Because what what
1: what happened for the for people who. Listened to the clip but didn't see it was that Bill Sampson and her fiance just takes her by both he he puts his hands on both of her arms and then pushes her down on the bed that's on the stage right. I mean he really
2: does manhandle her that's yeah and and it happens all the time in films of this right. era and the you know the toxic and fucked up thing about it is that usually when it happens in the film the woman like is aroused or is changed by Mm -hmm. it. She's affected by it. It's almost like she, she gives some kind of indication that she is okay with this or that she needed that, or that he was right to do that. You know, the only justification I can find for this physical interplay for these two characters, if I were trying my best to like, to be okay with watching Bill, who is otherwise a pretty all right guy do this fucked up thing, is that the way they continue to interact with each other, it almost feels like this is something that these two very strong, powerful personalities do when they're fighting with each other. Like, the way that she does not play any fear, she doesn't play any like, she's fighting him. She's not like, I mean, you can see that she's changed. You can see that like, there's a little bit of what we were talking about and she does calm down. And when he compliments her acting, she calms down a lot <laughs> I more. But, like,
0: <laughs> I love you, kind of works, but then it's just like, and you're a great actor, <laughs> okay. and that really affects
2: it yeah (laughs) but it's like if i if i were trying to say that like these two characters have this dynamic with each other then i could kind of like you know overlook it but again like what i was saying when you watch films from this era you have to remember the, the the um the circumstances right. that they yes. were creating art under—it's
1: so <laughs> fascinating, Jinx. Because when there's a there's a moment, and I can't remember if it's before or after this. Maybe it's just after. He's going to go to Hollywood to make his film, and uh, Betty Davis. No, it must be before Betty Davis and Eve take him to the airport. And oh, that—that's
0: be way before. At one point,
1: right. way before, right. yeah. He at one point, Bill Sampson grabs both the lapels of her fur coat, if fur coats have lapels and pushes her against the wall and and what you what i thought was two things one is i bet they have an amazing sex life it's very passionate (laughs) and you could and that was a great way of getting around the code that we talked about before Mm -hmm. so you could see that in that and the other thing was like my god i didn't think that betty davis would let any actor do that to her even in a even in a part but then it turns out that she and um, Gary Merrill who plays Bill Sampson were actually, they hit it off on set and so we're having an affair all the way having a relationship all the way through that film and they eventually got married so it's kind of yeah. it shows, it reads it reads on screen yeah.
2: it's It's fucked up in its nature but when you like look at the two of them and mm-hmm. the way that Betty Davis conducts herself you never worry about Margot Channing or Betty Davis's safety, right? Like you, you, you trust that this is a dynamic that they have developed, and knowing that backstory, you know, if I was one time having an affair, I was the supporting male lead having an affair with the male lead in a show, and the director, of course, didn't know, and um, he said. He loved the weird chemistry that was happening between our two characters. He wasn't expecting it from those characters, but it's really working. <laughs> so there's something to be seen for that um, backstage chemistry. <laughs> yeah. in, that, in that
0: scene on, on the bed, though, too, when they, they actually break up after that, it becomes like a real breakup because he says this is the last time. And then they're very calm right. with each other. The breakup is not a screaming fit it ends in that weird word weird whimper where she kind of says you're running off to see eve now aren't you or something like that Mm -hmm. and he goes that says it all like you just can't get past your paranoia of not trusting me it's really really got to a point of not trust that he left her you know which
2: yeah yeah
0: but it was nice that it, and
2: that's why i don't
0: no No, i went to a place where It wasn't a screaming match any longer. It was they had all their drama and now it's just kind of like, this isn't working. We can't make this work. And it's that's like the saddest part of the movie, actually.
1: Yeah. But that's why the writing was so good as well, because when you've got Betty Davis and you've got a breakup, you think it's gonna be a huge firework moment. And the fact that it's a quiet moment is there's a there's a reality to that there's an authenticity to it which is very moving
0: but well, we should all be wanting yeah. lloyd who's the kind of the nice guy but we don't we want him we want bill we we want i don't want bill don't. Yeah, i want lloyd oh if you don't want <laughs> bill i want Karen.
2: what i what i do like about like what i like about how they constructed bill's character is that he doesn't betray margo oh, like mm. i feel like right You know, it would have been kind of obvious if he then did fall for one of Eve's tricks or something, you know. Um uh he's totally in love. I love that he does genuinely love. Yeah, yes. Like I I love that it is genuine and it is unbreakable, and it really is about her emotion. She has to deal with her emotions about this Mm -hmm. but it's more about like how fucked up the situation is you know and not it doesn't even it it feels like bill's like you said it's about the trust bill's disappointed that she doesn't trust him Mm -hmm. right he's not disappointed that he's being accused of these things because he knows you know that he he knows his truth but he's got to wait for Margot to believe it too. So, yeah. you know, that's what he's hurt by is that he, she doesn't trust him. But I, you know, they end up together in the end, they and they detect- do seem right for each other. The way they're written, it does seem like these characters are are meant to be together. I you think know? they'll <laughs> keep.
1: I think they'll keep having these incredibly passionate blow-ups and they'll take. It and he'll take another movie in Hollywood, but then he'll come back. I think it will be one of those relationships where. They'll be together and on and off for years.
2: They, it, their relationship for 1950 is actually pretty mature and progressive. Right. They are not married. They both have careers. Right. They are in each other's lives when they can be, and they keep space for each other. You know, like that is kind of like what relationships are striving to be like now, where where both people have equal agency, equal opportunity to live their own lives and then they come together because they choose to be together you know (laughs) i really like their relationship even with the fucked up aspects of it i really like their relationship
1: okay cinema (laughs) as relationship counseling jinx monsoon as the (laughs) Uh you're like the Dr. Freud of Cinema Relationship <laughs> Counseling. <laughs> <laughs> this is like amazing. This is an amazing thing. So the <laughs> film the film um did well, did well at the box office. It got it was nominated f- for 14 Oscars. Um and it eventually won. It didn't win. As we talked about, didn't win anything for Betty Davis. Didn't we? Win- or Anne
0: Baxter. They were both Two- nominated.
1: Or Anne Baxter. Right. Well, four of them were. Four women from that film were <laughs> all <laughs> but nominated. But all the men won. <laughs> but to your point, but to your point, Jinx, yeah, the women were put in the same categories. So supporting act, uh, best actor, best actor. So they canceled mm-hmm. each other out. And that year, I think Judy Holiday won, which was a great performance, but um the strategy was weird. The neither of the supporting actors, actresses got it. And I think the only actor that got it was um, George Sanders for Addison DeWitt. Um, But it did get best picture and it got best director and it
2: got best adapted screenplay.
1: Best costume design, best sound recording.
2: And I think it's, it's kind of, funny to think about all of that and to talk about all of that. And then remember, you know, the phenomenon that was the Barbie movie that is the Barbie movie. <laughs> yeah. And then remember that like, here is a movie, um, written directed starring women about the female experience about gender norms and how they are. The construct of gender can be harmful to everyone, even those who benefit from it. Right. You know, here's this profoundly enlightened movie starring women, and all anyone can talk about is Ryan Gosling right. <laughs> being so incredible. You know, and it's the same. It's the same thing, and it's like what? And it's true in Hollywood, but it's true everywhere. You know, it's like, I mean, it's kind of like when you start thinking about those things and talking about those things what decent person wouldn't be a feminist like what decent right. person wouldn't right. want to support women seeing the way that that has been going on for years and years and years
1: right <laughs> oh yeah amen sister okay. preach <laughs> okay Cooper, what do you think Should should go quick fire yeah yeah we, before we you have go... a
0: lightning round okay. that we do to wrap this up because because we do have to wrap this up eventually sure. um I
2: know, oh, I could keep to. talking for hours. Well, like, oh, maybe we should then.
0: Actually, you know, I saw this I saw this film for the first time at the Castro Theater in San Francisco, oh. which was amazing because it's so big and beautiful in that theater. And uh-huh. anyway, that's my that was my story oh. around this. I've seen it, I think, probably 40 <laughs> times since then, but,
1: Whoa. but heard, who did you see it with? I, I saw know? it
0: with my nerdy friend, um, neither of us could ever get dates we we were in san francisco in the height of of the sexual thing but we but not, yeah, the sexual gainous. and but we weren't and this was pre-aids the we sexual. were not clones at all and like we were invisible in that neighborhood we just could walk through that neighborhood as skinny little twinks and just nobody ever looked at us and we i think we went to the castro theater like three times a week just because we had nothing else to do <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a sad life, but a very oh. productive life. It, it laid the groundwork for my career. <laughs> well,
2: it serves you today. The yeah, day, yeah right? there we are. Exactly. <laughs> Full
0: circle. Now look yeah. at you. <laughs> mm.
1: Okay, so quick fire um, Jinx Monsoon, Lightning Round. Mm-hmm. My question to you is what is the most bizarre thing that has happened to you in a theater or cinema?
2: well being a performer i feel like i have an edge for this question but um so provincetown for those who don't know provincetown in the summer is um where like any drag queen with a cabaret show goes and lives there for the summer and performs for a never-ending like enclave of (laughs) (coughs) we're vacationers um you have your and so when you put on a show there you'll have your busy nights you'll have your maybe there's a uh you know maybe barbara streisand singing at town hall or (laughs) patty lapone or something so you, you got more competition one night peaches christ and i were doing our um live drag uh, cabaret show uh return to gray gardens which is about peaches christ and jinx monsoon essentially becoming the characters big Edie and little Edie by performing the show so many times that they just forget who they originally were <laughs> that's the premise of the show <laughs> so um we're doing this show it was a hit in provincetown people loved it but it was one of those nights where we we weren't sold out so the expensive seats were in the front were basically empty, which means the whole audience was about four rows back, starting about four rows back. These two men in the front seats, in the only (laughs) front seats, the the only two men were so drunk while we're doing our show (laughs) that they must've forgot where they were and just began performing (laughs) oral sex on each other. (laughs) But because the rest of the audience was so far Back. back... and the audience was raked, the seating was raked, no one could see what was happening except for Peach's Christ and I. So we're sitting there trying to perform a show, watching this bear go down on his daddy bear, you know, in full leather gear. And we start, like, saying there's a man going down on another, like, in character. I'm like, mother, darling, can you see that? Like, And... And everyone thought we were just joking. And then the the, the guy getting filleted is just like giving us a thumbs up. Like, isn't this great? And I'm like, oh my God, like, what do you do in that situation? We just finished the show. You know? I,
1: what would Jesus do?
0: I think that is the best one we've heard so far we should have an award. at the end of our 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 20 episodes which is our season we should have one um a recap of the best yes. story
1: yeah wow. i think that might be the one to beat the final question to you jinx monsoon is um will you tell us either the best piece of advice you've ever been given or a piece of advice that you would like to give our listeners
2: oh i will give a piece of advice and it was a it's twofold to any actors out there. Um, I was just thinking about this because I watched the film talk to me, um, which is a new scary ghost film. Lots of people are really loving it. It's a great film. I've already seen it twice. Um, there is a character in it. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's okay. a character in it and he does so well at his role. Um, God, now I'm going to spoil it. I won't say who the character is. <laughs> anyway, see the movie, talk to me. The advice I was given was from my um, theater mentor. She was my favorite teacher at school. She's continued to be one of my good friends. Her name's Kira McDonald. Um, she, uh, she's a wonderful theater teacher. She told me that if you're going to play a character who dies your job is to be full of life until your character dies I, ha- I had the smallest role in Our Town, one of the most boring plays to be in because if you're in that play, there's two characters that talk and everyone else just sits there, <laughs> so if you're in that play, you don't do anything you're, you're likely only saying two lines, I was playing a paper boy who has two lines in act one and then when he gets referenced again in act three it's just to say he's dead <laughs> And I said, what do I do with that? Like, how do I get anything out of this experience? How do I even contribute to the show with this character? And she said, the only way you can is to show a character that's so full of life that when we hear he's dead, it means something. Mm. Wow. It was the best advice ever given to me as an actor because you can apply it to anything. If your character has a monumental change, they have to start you know, very different from where they end. If the whole show is about their change, if the show is about their death, you know, or their story arc is about their death. When I played Angel in Rent, I took that advice and I said, the reason why Angel's death causes a pivotal change in that show is because Angel is the most full of life character in the show. So that that advice helped me a lot.
1: <laughs> Dr. Monsoon, <laughs> that is also a life lesson. We're all die. gonna die. die. Yeah. Let's live the so fullest life we can.
2: Lines. Yes. And I always say life is too short um, to live it as anyone other than yourself. Perfect. So if you know what your truth is, pursue that truth. And I know it's not always easy to do that, but life is too short to, you know, not be living it authentically and genuinely for yourself.
0: If you'd like to share the film that blew your mind, send us an email to stories at thefilmthatblewmymind.com. The Film That Blew My Mind is hosted by me, John Cooper.
1: And me, Tabitha Jackson. Our executive producer is Jessica Buzzard.
0: The show is produced by Goat Rodeo. And to find more of their work, go to goatrodeodc.com.
1: Executive producers at Goat Rodeo are Megan Nadalski and Ian Enright.
0: Creative producers are Max Johnston, Isabel Kirby McGowan, Rebecca Seidel, and Jay Venables.
1: Mixing and engineering by Rebecca Seidel. Intro music from Wayne Jones.
0: Marketing and publicity by Stephen Raphael at Required Viewing.
1: Graphics by
0: Lee Fenvis. Special thanks to Trevor Groth. Kirsten Chalker, John Nine, and especially Christine Buzzard. Also to all our friends and family who put up with us and our crazy projects.
1: Aww. If you like this episode, why don't you subscribe to stay up to date on new ones and maybe leave us a rating and a review. Oh, and if you have any left, tell your friends.